Hello, my armchair detectives. Before I get started, I want to remind you that there are spaces in the Patreon that are open, and it's not just murder and missing persons either. In the Patreon, you'll find self-care guidance and psychic energy updates about the month ahead, as well as interviews with victims in the afterlife and killers who are on the other side as well. You can even reserve your own private monthly readings. I want to remind you as well that if you leave a review on iTunes, which really helps this podcast get into the ears of more listeners, I would so appreciate that. And in return, you will be entered to win a free 30-minute reading. Previously, I had said 15, but 30 just feels like a little bit better. So just for leaving a review, help me, I will help you. All right, now what you came here to hear. August 21st, 1996, Dennis Appleby leaves his home in Moline, Illinois, around 9 a.m. His 11, nearly 12-year-old daughter was home by herself, which wasn't unusual. That morning was the last time Dennis would ever see his daughter, Trudy, again. See, she had asked him if she could go swimming with the Whipple family that afternoon, but having just recently been grounded, her dad had told her no. She couldn't go swimming. She was okay to hang out with other friends in the neighborhood, but she wasn't going to go swimming. I kind of wish I knew what she had been grounded for. Anyway, it's speculated that she may have decided to go regardless. Because of this recent grounding, though, when it turned out that she had gone missing, police initially believed that she may have been a runaway, which kind of put a little bit of a hold up, like a hold back, it stopped, let me find my words. It didn't allow police to move forward as quickly as they could have on the investigation. According to other sources, Trudy and her dad were about to go on vacation together, and she had actually saved up around $200 for this vacation. They were headed to Salt Lake City, Utah. And the only things missing from her home were her bathing suit and a towel. She didn't bring any money with her, which says to me and just about everybody else that she obviously wasn't a runaway because a runaway would bring their $200 with them. So her friend Amber hadn't heard from Trudy, and Amber and Trudy were inseparable. They were best friends, nor was Trudy picking up her phone at all. Trudy had been at Amber's house the night before she had disappeared. She and Trudy had made plans for the 21st, and Amber had overslept. Trudy's dad stopped home on his lunch break and didn't see any sign of her, but also didn't think anything of it, as this was totally normal that she'd be out and about in the neighborhood. All of you 30-plus or like mid-20-somethings, probably remember that we used to leave at like the crack of dawn, right? Get on our bikes, ride around the neighborhood, be out with friends, and our rule was come home when the street lights are on so you can come in, have dinner, get ready for bed. Uh, Dennis had called Amber looking for his daughter, and Amber explained that she hadn't heard from her all day, and he even tried calling her earlier. When he told Amber that Trudy hadn't even done any of her chores and there was no sign of her when he returned home from work that evening... It just wasn't like her. What's more is that if you're going to run away at 12 years old, you're going to tell your best friend. Amber would have known. There was no way she wouldn't have known. So now, according to Amber, she had turned, looked at her mother, and said, somebody took Trudy. She knew, as best friends do. As the authorities realized that Trudy was, in fact, not a runaway, neighbors are questioned and others begin to come forward with information, hoping to bring Trudy home and quickly. A neighbor had reported seeing a silver four-door sedan similar to a Chevy Celebrity, which admittedly I had to look up because cars aren't my thing, so I'll totally put a picture of this up on Patreon, but it's a very boxy older model car, and it's actually very, it's pretty much what I saw when I felt into it. I had chills when I saw the picture of this car because it's exactly what I had seen. 
They had seen it pulling away with Trudy in it around 9.30 that morning, only half an hour after her dad had left for work. So the man seen outside of her home with her was estimated to be in about his 20s with long curly brown hair and a baseball hat. What I found really interesting was while feeling into this case, I could see someone chatting with her outside her house, like very casually, hands in his pockets, talking to her. There was no fear around any of it. And when I read on the Charlie Project and listened to a few podcasts about her disappearance, that's exactly what others had seen was someone standing in her yard, talking to her outside of his car in between like her, his car and her house. So she was outside chatting with this younger adult who she had seen at least once before. She knew him, knew of him, he knew her, and his accomplices knew Dennis's schedule. At least one of them did. Her house was set back in the woods a little bit and had a long driveway, one that would you you would have to like intentionally go down, not just drive by, see a young child playing out front and take that child. It was not a crime of opportunity. I want to rewind and kind of walk you through my process and what came up for me because my initial feel into this case was with strictly a name and only a name. I usually grab a picture to begin with, but I didn't this time. I immediately felt a young girl, brown hair, missing. I saw a car out front. I heard the word lured away. So there's a car out front of the house and this was validated with what the neighbor had reported. The next thing I had written down was man with gray brown hair. She feels lured away. And I think that in this moment of talking to this man, she felt comfortable because she knew him. But once she had left with him, was lured away to her destination, that's when I feel she started to get nervous and knew something was up. I felt that the three men, excuse me, three men were involved. And as it turns out, there have been three identified people in relation to her case. One is William Ed Smith, who unfortunately, or fortunately, passed away in 2014, and the other two are David Whipple and Jameson Fisher, who goes by Jamie. Whipple is actually Smith's son-in-law and was friends with Trudy's father, and Trudy's um, Whipple's daughter was also friends with Trudy. I believe that he was driving Smith's car and was the one seen out of Trudy's, seen out front of Trudy's house. I think what he told her was he was picking her up to go swimming out on the boat like Trudy had asked her dad to and he had said no, but Trudy didn't tell them that that was the case. So I see the dad, Whipple, taking Trudy in the car with him and I see them at like an island type of area, lots of green on the island, darker water. He said, I'm going to take you swimming, take you to the boat, and his daughter was going to be there. Well, according to various sources, Whipple claims as a witness that he saw Trudy in Smith's car, but that Smith had threatened to kill him if he spoke of it, which is so flipping false, false, false. He was involved from the beginning and offered this half-truth to try to clear his name from any involvement. I believe that he's offered a lot of half-truths over the years. I got the sense of Trudy being watched by Whipple, and before reading about the case at all, it felt to me as if he had attempted to, or at least thought about taking her before, and it didn't work out for him. I think what happened this time is that he told Trudy he was going to take her to the boat, like I said, and his daughter would be there waiting, and they would go out to Campbell's Island and hang out there for the day. However, I believe when she got back to the boat, it was his father-in-law who was there as well, and the third person of interest, Smith's friend, who I don't believe was initially supposed to be involved, but that Smith brought him along. I believe that Trudy went along willingly the whole time because she assumed her friend would be there. She had no reason to believe otherwise until it was too late. See, Trudy had been on the boat before with the Whipples. This didn't seem super unusual to her, and while she had plans with Amber, she hadn't heard from Amber yet, so she went with Whipple when he had shown up, even though she wasn't supposed to. Whipple knew her dad would be gone 
Trudy's dad, I mean, would be gone for work and knew nothing would look suspicious at first because it was normal for Trudy to be out and about in the neighborhood. And in 1996, no one had cell phones, right? You weren't checking in and reporting. You were leaving a note or it was assumed that you were where you usually are. There wasn't that same fear like there is today. So I believe that Whipple had sort of been watching her play with his daughter over time and had imagined that it would what it would be like to be with her. And I think his father-in-law was equally disgusting, to be fair, just never caught. So David Whipple is a convicted sex offender, and while he has cooperated with interviews as of late, it was not something he did upon initial investigations. Yes, he talked to the police, but he also claimed that he was a witness watching her in Smith's car, but he was actively involved in this as far as I'm concerned. Smith is who conveniently deceased can't even negate that or argue it. Smith had his car scrapped, which is interesting as well because I had seen a junkyard when I fell into this case and wasn't sure exactly how it fit in. He had this done just days after she had gone missing, and he knew that the evidence needed to be destroyed. I don't believe that he had had intended to kill her. I believe he intended to assault her, to victimize her, yes, but kill her? I don't think so. I think that Trudy fought back when she realized she was being taken out on the water without her friend or anyone other than those men, and I believe she was struck on the side of the face by a hand while trying to control her, and another one of the men, Fisher, strangled her. Whipple wanted to be with her in a way that he shouldn't, and he is a convicted child molester. I will leave it at that. I'm not going to go into details over what I see around it and what was going to happen, but like I said, I don't think they intended to kill her and things went too far. Fisher took it upon himself to fix the situation, so to speak, and I think what happened is that he strangled her, but if any light can be added to this tragic story, I do feel that the initial intention of inappropriate relations with the minor were not met that day. It didn't happen because she fought back. I think that because she made noise, she was killed prior to that um, happening. So Dennis Appleby is quoted saying that if anyone had tried funny business with her, she would have fought back and maybe she was killed by accident. And I wholeheartedly believe that this is what happened. In July of 2018, Two billboards were created by the Moline Police Department and Crime Stoppers of Quad Cities in place in Moline. Then in December of 2018, police uncovered a boat that they believe could be involved with Trudy's disappearance. This boat had changed hands, hands, excuse me, this boat had changed hands a handful of times over the years and the family who was currently in possession of it had no idea that their boat was used in the transport of a suspected homicide. In early 2019, the FBI processed that boat and collected hundreds of DNA swabs to run against a known sample of Trudy's DNA. With the continuous advancement of DNA evidence, multitudes of cases where there is no body are being solved and prosecuted as homicides because of that presence of DNA. There is something that is making huge waves in previously cold cases, and it's the use of DNA evidence that we in the past haven't been able to test and evaluate in the way that we can now. In June of 2020, Moline searched the property of Jamie Fisher in relation to the disappearance of Trudy Appleby, and nothing remains of the house that used to stand there except for the crawl space, well, what's speculated to be the crawl space. They even dug out a spot, but officers would not comment on whether or not they had found anything, just that the information that led them there came from a tip in the public. A month prior, in the month of August, police publicly named Fisher and Whipple not only as persons of interest, but outright said that they knew the two of them knew what happened to Trudy that day and that it was only a matter of time before they were caught. 
the city of Moline has continued to hope and pray and hold annual vigils for Trudy. Her mom passed away in 2014, sadly after being struck by a drunk driver in Rock Island County, Illinois. While Trudy's father continues to hold out hope that her abductor is brought to justice and that Trudy can be brought to can be brought to home and given the respect that she deserves. Her friend Amber is still active in the search for Trudy as well. And if you know anything, literally anything at all about this case, please share it with Moline, Illinois law enforcement or Crime Stoppers of Quad Cities. As usual, the contact information for that department will be listed in the show notes. So thanks for listening, my fellow true crime enthusiasts, and stay safe.